You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Well, thank you so much, team, for leading us. And you can take your Bibles and you can turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4, but also turn to Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, uh, we'll be looking at that in a few moments. And uh, just it, it, we're, we're just so thankful to be in our new place here. And we have still a lot of kinks and different things to work out. But just thankful for the team of people that moved us last week and uh, last Saturday. And then just all the other hands that have been so involved in this in so many ways. And somehow we have to figure out how to thank you and to... Uh, just, just, yeah, the amount of work and everything to, to have this up and running in the way that it is, we're so grateful. And again, we're a little sad by the news uh, on Friday uh, from Dr. Bonnie Henry that gatherings are going to continue to uh, remain status quo as um, and, and, and any kind of public gatherings for us. And I encourage you, if it is on your heart and it's your conviction to write letters, continue to keep writing letters, um, and, and sending emails, even though you get the automatic reply, send a good text in, your, in the subject line. And let's continue to remind our government officials that gathering is important for the body of Christ, for the community, for our well-being, for us spiritually, and that we would even have the right hearts as we look towards this. And so encourage you, there's information in the e-news and, and instruction there on how we can better uh, just, you can access some of those, um, the letter, and uh, just um, get hold of our government officials in that way. And so, yes, again, we are in, back in 1 Peter, this Living Hope series, and yet we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 7, and we're going to use this as a springboard, I guess you could say, to consider some other passages like we did last week. Just sense that this week we just weren't quite done yet with, with, with this verse here and some of these key truths that we have here. And and it just since we needed to park here again and examine this important statement from 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 7. Hope you're looking at it in your Bibles and hopefully it's already underlined from last week. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What an important word in in God's word for us. And last week we talked about how we need to be living with a growing sense and a deepening sense of urgency and alertness and prayer in regards to Christ's return. And, And let's face it, life in 2021, it has not been business or life as usual. It hasn't been hody hum, just kind of go through, you know, life as we always have. No, we need, of all the years, 2021, we need to be awake. We need to be alert. We need to be ready. We are living in days where we can be so dominated in so many different ways by fear, by frustration, by anger, by hurt, by confusion. And here we are reminded in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. And how we need to consider and remember that Christ will one day return and he will set things right. No one knows the date or the time of his return. And we talked about that last Sunday. 
And I think back to the late 80s. I was like a toddler back then in diapers. And, no, a- actually, I would have been in college in the late 80s. And there was this book going around that caused a lot of discussion. 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. So like hotcakes, got a lot of press. A lot of pastors preached on it. A lot of people were, were looking at that. And, he even, and, and the author even took and he even brought it down to certain dates. I believe it was at like September 11th to 13th better be ready because the rapture is going to happen well i remember september 11th and 13th to 13th came and they went the rapture never happened and then there was a second edition i kid you not i believe that it did happen 89 reasons why jesus will return in 89 he just got a little off on his on, on his uh, uh dates and in in prophecies and stuff like that god's word says that we will not know the time or the day Matthew 24, 36, write down that and you can study that. It says, no one knows. The angels don't know, not even the Son, not even Jesus knows when the Father in heaven will return. But we know that one day, one day, and this is going to be so awesome, that God the Father, he's going to look at his Son, and he's going to give him the nod, and he's going to say, go get him. Go bring him home. That is our blessed hope. That is a promise. That will happen. That will be a sure thing, as sure as I am standing here, as sure as I am alive today. It is as sure as all things that he will one day return. And last week we looked at some of the promises and the warnings about the return of Christ. The birth pains or the signs that we need to be watching for and looking for. And those birth pains, those contractions are getting closer and they're getting harder. And so it means that something's going to happen. And we ought to be motivated by urgency, alertness, and prayer. Again, from last Sunday. And I trust that that is is starting to take some, some thoughts and some thinking in our minds. But that... Also, too, in this, how we need to be looking at our lives. And today we need to not just look at the promises and the warning, and yes, Christ is going to return, but we need to prepare personally. It's so important that we prepare personally, that we don't miss what God has in store. And whether we are raptured, whether it's the second coming, whatever view you have, or whether we die before any of this happens, we need to be ready. We need to be ready, and there's an urgency in this. My wife, Charlotte, she works in a funeral home. She sees families oftentimes, even though she doesn't deal with those who are bereaved, right, um, just, just personally as they're coming in, but she sees them and sometimes she knows them and she talks with them. And, and, and these people are numb, oftentimes in a state of shock. And, and, and the words out of their mouth is, we didn't expect this so soon. We didn't see this coming. And, and it kind of also seems that perhaps, again, the older you get, the, you, know, you read the obituaries a little bit more, and some common words that you see in, in so many people's obituaries. You see the words, suddenly and unexpectedly. They weren't planning on, the family wasn't planning on this person passing. And we have to be ready. Jesus gave sober warnings about the end of life or the end times, and the readiness that we need to have regardless of, of, of where we land in that. We, don't, we cannot allow death, the return of Christ, the rapture, wherever you're at in that, and we can't allow it to catch us by surprise. We need to prepare. And many of these warnings Jesus gave about the end of times and how we need to be ready, he gave the teaching in the form of parables. Now, the word parable means 
para, there's two words there, para, which means alongside, and bolo is the Greek word for that, to throw. And so it literally means to throw alongside. So Jesus would take something from the physical, from everyday life, that people could understand, that they could relate to, and he would then take that thing from physical life, that, that, that story, that illustration, and he would bring in a spiritual truth. And so he was talking at the level of the people. That's how Jesus operated. And he would use a physical reality to convey an important spiritual truth. And in every parable, there was always one key main message. There was always one key message, one great truth. And the one clear message that Jesus is communicating in the passage that we're going to look at today in Matthew 25 is that we need to be ready, we need to be watchful for the sudden, unexpected return of Christ. Or if our lives were to end here on this earth. And when that happens, when we take our last breath here on this earth, it will either end in a reward of righteousness or we will face the judge for our unrighteousness. And there will be no second chance. There won't be a mulligan. There won't be a do-over. And so let's read in Matthew chapter 25 as we read this parable. Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to, a meet, to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. And the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those that who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. And as we look at this passage today, I would encourage you to write down three observations that we see. Three observations regarding our end times readiness. And the first one is this. There is a great day coming. There's a great day coming. And, and in verse 1 it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now what is he describing here? What is he talking about? He's getting ready to talk about a marriage feast. A marriage celebration. Now a Jewish wedding was a huge celebration. Town-wide. Community-wide celebration. And, and it involved a lot of planning, a lot of time, a lot of preparation, and a lot of anticipation, as well as, traditionally, some delays. Now, similar to today, weddings are a time of great celebration, great anticipation, 
We have some couples um, who are a part of our church that are planning towards their big day coming in the next number of months. And here's a picture of some of them. Um, Mason and Amanda on the left, they're planning to get married in September. Carl and Laura on the top right, see them there. They are planning to get married in April. And our daughter Clarice and Toby, her fiancé, that's hard to say, but I said it. Uh, on the bottom right there, planning hopefully a date in August to get married. And there's so much excitement and enthusiasm as you talk. Planning and preparation and, and, and COVID adds a whole number thing. What will the number count be at? What will it all be like? And, and then this week, I, I had a nice visit with this sweet couple, Dale and Leanne, who some of you would know them. You see them around town uh, they came to our church a number of times before COVID, and, and uh, as I ran into them this week and sat down, and we had a wonderful conversation for a while with them, and they asked, hey, would you help us renew our vows when we get to our 25th wedding anniversary? I said, sure, when is that? And they said, well, it's three years from now, but we want to book you. We want to book you in advance. And I said, sure, I'd love to be a part of that. And, and Dale is actually a very good poet, and uh, he wants to possibly write his renewal vows to Leanne. What a sweet couple. You see, marriage is a big deal. It is to be celebrated. It is to be planned. It is to be thought out. And, and, and there's time and commitment and sacrifice that goes into so much planning, so much preparation. Since our daughter was engaged on December 31st, there have been so many conversations and FaceTime calls between Charlotte and Clarice as her, her daughter is in Calgary. And, and, and since that time, just so many conversations. I, I've also offered to help out with some opinions and you know, some maybe style of wedding that maybe they might be looking at. I thought some of these would be some nice conservative you know, kind of bride, bridegroom, you know, bridesmaids. And, and yeah, it didn't go over so well. Uh, yeah, they weren't that interested in, in my thoughts. But, but then Clarice started talking about the price of wedding dresses. And, oh my stars, it's crazy uh, how pricey it can be. And, and, uh, but I found some on Facebook Marketplace. Look at these ones. $50, $100 for that other one, and $1 for a wedding dress. I mean, that's amazing. And so I sent them to Clarice. Again, not helpful. They just don't seem to appreciate my help in that. And and uh, anyways, um, so I guess I just won't help out that much in some of those things. Now, a Jewish wedding in Jesus' day was a little bit different than today. There were certain stages of the wedding celebration that would take place. There was, first of all, similar to ours, but different, the engagement. This was the official contract between the father of the bride and the father of the groom. They were often arranged marriages as they were oftentimes teenagers. And, and so the, the father of the bride would give uh, his daughter to, and, and the father of the groom was also involved in this, and so they would uh, come together with this contract and, and this would take place. Then there was the betrothal. I hope I said that right. I keep butchering it and I probably said it wrong again. But the couple would come together, and, and there would be a ceremony. There would be vows. There would be commitments that were made. And because of that ceremony that would take place, engagement, betrothal, and then there, they were officially married. But it's at this point, they, never consum they wouldn't consummate the marriage. In fact, at this point, the bridegroom would leave, and he would go to work, and he would prepare a home for his bride, Perhaps he would purchase some land, plant a crop, build a house, and he would get ready to be able to take care of his bride. And oftentimes this period would last at least one year. 
for him to be able to get that all together. This was the stage that we read about that Mary and Joseph were at in Matthew chapter 1. They were engaged or betrothed to be married, but he was preparing and getting things ready, and so they weren't officially married. They were waiting for that. Joseph was still working. Then when everything would be ready, when everything was set in place, the bridegroom would come with his attendants. And he would come in the nighttime because nighttime was important. And and he would come to where the bride would be with her bridesmaids and they would be ready and they would be waiting. They wouldn't know exactly when it would happen, but they needed to be ready. They needed to be waiting. And what they would happen, they would have torches. And, And similar to the torches that, or to this torch here. Thank you very much, Carl. And similar, but probably different. This is a tiki torch, and it was kind of hard finding one of these this time of year. But, but what they would do is that they would have these tor- torches, and they would have the nice little stand in here, and they would have torches that would go, that they would take. They would... Oh, it was working before. There we go. All right. Uh, hopefully... No smoke alarms or, okay. Uh, anyways, burn, burn down the office building on the, on the first uh, Sunday. But anyways, so they would take these torches and they would light them and they would go out into the streets and they would go out and they would celebrate. And the whole community, it was a town-wide event. People would come, there would be music, there would be dancing, there would be celebration in the streets that would take place. And they would raise the, the lanterns up high and they would, would celebrate and, and the people would join in, the people of the community. I'll give this back to you. Thank you. And, and so this was a huge event. And, and, uh, and, and the planning, the preparation, but then the celebration. And what they would do, they would dance throughout the streets. They would dance all over. And as they would dance, they would play the music and they would end up at the bridegroom's home, the home that he had prepared. And there would be a feast and a celebration inside this home that would last up to seven days. It would be a feast like none other. And then everyone, after the party, the celebration, the marriage feast was over, then everyone would leave. Well, hopefully everyone would leave. And the marriage would finally be consummated. What a celebration. And Jesus used this as an illustration, as a parable, to emphasize the planning, the preparation, the anticipation, the excitement, the get readiness to celebrate his return. And he likened that to the great wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation 19. You see, when Jesus came to earth the first time, that was like the engagement. The offer of salvation had been made. And to all who would receive him, to all who would call upon the name of the Lord then, and all those since then that would call upon the name of the Lord are saved. But then as he has ascended up into heaven, And in John chapter 14, we understand what he's doing. John 14, it tells us that the bridegroom, that Jesus is right now preparing a place for his bride. He's he's building rooms, he's building mansions, he's building a place for his bride. And that one day, one day he will return for his bride and he will take her home and there will be a feast and a celebration for the ages. The marriage supper of the Lamb. That's going to be a great day coming. That's going to be a great time of celebration. A great time. But the second observation we see, yes, there's a great day coming, but the second observation is that 
it, it comes with a great warning that preparation is vital. It's not preparation is a good idea, not something I should probably eventually get around to, I should start planning and preparing for this. Preparation today is vital. We can't put this off. In verse 5, we see that Jesus even said that the bridegroom's delay, there would be a delay. And we talked about that last week. It's been 2,000 years. But there's a reason for that, and you can go back last week if, if you missed out on that. Now, there's oftentimes a delay when it comes to weddings or to ceremonies especially. I don't think I've ever officiated at a wedding or have even attended a wedding that has started on time. In fact, as a minister, the very first wedding I ever, ever officiated at was over an hour late. Boy, was I getting the looks. People were trying to blame me for it. The bride was there. She was ready and waiting. The groom was there ready and waiting. The parents were there. You know who, you know who wasn't there? The minister was there. Uh, it was the best man, the brother of the groom. He wasn't the best man that day. He was a hated man uh, because he decided last minute that he needed a haircut. And because of the delays, whatever, he was an hour late. It was, a, it was a rainy, humid day, and there was no air conditioning in the church, and it was full, and it was just gross, brutal. Delays, though, are inevitable. Yet in this parable, we see that despite the delays, the bride, the bridesmaids are to be ready. They are to be prepared. They are to be waiting. However, sadly, we see in verse 2 that we see that there were five wise bridesmaids but we also see there was five foolish bridesmaids and when the bridegroom came some were ready some were not some who 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 were ready for the celebration and for the feast and some who made it into the celebration and the feast and some who did not and the fate of the unprepared the unrighteous is a devastating one the fate of the unrighteous is a devastating eternal doom it's not good. The next parable in Matthew 25, Jesus describes the fate of the unprepared and, and, and their end goal, or the end where they will end up, their end destination is described as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's hell that he's talking about. Other places describe hell as an eternal lake of fire. And it's sobering and it's devastating. Eternal consequences are at stake. This is a big deal. And yet for those who are ready, those who are prepared, for the righteous, for those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and are desiring to live for Him and it's been evidenced in, 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 in the growth and, and the transformation that's happening in a life, it's evident. There's unfathomable forever in store for the righteous. That's our blessed hope. John Piper said it like this. Love it. He says, every pleasure we have ever known, every pleasure we have ever hoped for, dreamed of here on earth is simply a shadow, a cardboard cutout compared to the glory, the pleasure, the joy of heaven. We are so oftentimes yet so, so consumed with our hopes and our affections and our joys and our expectations on things here, things here on this earth. But Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago as the engaged, betrothed king, as the bridegroom. And he came for his betrothed bride, the people of God. The people, and, and, and who is that? The people who have put their faith, their trust, their hope in Jesus. This is the elect 
from every tribe, every tongue, every nation who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. He's talking about the church here. And he came and he lived and he sacrificed. Jesus came and did this. He served and he ultimately died for his bride. He paid the dowry with his own blood. And God's word tells us that he will come again. He will come again a second time. And he will come and he will gather her and he will marry her and he will take his bride. He will take his church into the gardens, into the chambers of his life forevermore. And today, he is at work by his Holy Spirit, by the word of God, purifying and beautifying his bride for himself and for our joy. That is the work that he is about. That is the work that ought to be happening in our own lives that we are, are, are preparing. We are becoming more holy and, and, and pursuing his righteousness and, and, and his life for us. And he calls us to be ready. He calls us to be waiting. He calls us to be busy in preparing, busy about his work. It's not la-di-da, just kind of, you know, doing whatever we want, you know, pursuing our hopes, our dreams, our plans, seeking, you know, whatever it is that we want and asking God to bless it. God, just bless it. And, and, and then, oh yeah, at the end of it all, I get heaven. That is so mixed up. We see it so dimly. We see it so wrongly. We see it in the wrong perspective. No, we are to be watching and waiting and working and preparing for that day. And sadly, we are so preoccupied with the cares and the burdens and the frustrations and the pleasures and the goals and the dreams of this world. And that's just sucking the life out of us. And it's doing nothing in preparing us to meet the bridegroom. But as you look at this parable, Jesus gave us some important details that we can't overlook that we have to pay attention to, that we need to dig into. And one of those observations, one of those things we cannot overlook is, first of all, there are some who were in the bride's chamber. Some that were in the bride's chamber that never made it to the feast. And there were those that weren't prepared. And for them, the door was eternally closed. You see, though they were in the chamber, though they were in the church, they didn't have it. They didn't have that saving faith. They didn't have, as we see here in a moment, the oil. You see, the bridesmaids, they represent the church. The church around the world. The church universal. They represent the church local, including Hope Bible Church. This is what he's talking about here with these 10 bridesmaids. This is the visible church through all generations, through all ages. And it represents those who profess Christ, those who claim that they belong to Christ. They show the outward marks, and yet they, and, and they look and they sound ready. They look and sound like the real deal. They know the word, they understand it, and yet they are lacking what mattered most. They had the outward form. And the foolish bridesmaids represent the ones, the ones who had no oil. And, and they may represent for us today a number of different possibilities. 
They might represent false teachers and those who follow them, those who have been led astray to another gospel. And Paul oftentimes, the Apostle Paul often warned, he said, be aware. He said, for those who will rise up, even from within your own ranks, even within your own church, seeking to draw people away from the truth of God's word towards themselves, towards false teaching. These are people, he he describes, who have departed from the faith. Those who have departed from the word of God. They preach a false, a false, or a flawed, a partial gospel, which again the Apostle Paul says is no gospel at all. Either it's the real thing, it's the real deal, it's the whole thing, or else it's nothing. It might be a prosperity, a health, a wealth, a signs and wonders, a miracle-filled gospel that they are promoting and they are teaching. They're out of balance. And oftentimes, false gospel, false preachers, oftentimes very rarely ever talk or preach or teach about sin, about judgment, about God's wrath, about hell, about being broken and surrendered. They talk little about repentance. They talk very little about the blood of Christ or personal holiness or obedience to God's word. It's just like, yeah, try the best that you can and it'll all work out in the end. Or oftentimes these leaders or these churches, they they do not see the Bible as the inspired word of God. They see it as a good suggestion book, perhaps. Some don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the atoning work of Christ. They don't hold fast to the inspiration, the authority, the sufficiency of Scripture. There's one very popular teaching that is propagated by some some large churches with some very large followings, very influential around the world here in North America. And they teach that while Jesus was here on earth, that he gave up his divinity. He was no longer God in the flesh. He gave it up. And that while he was here on earth, he was 100% man. He was not God in the flesh. He was man in the flesh, 100%. And they claim that he lived and he ministered as a human, as a human being, just like us. And he performed his mighty miracles and his healing, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they use that teaching, that understanding to say, hey, just in the same way that we are fully human, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we too can do the mighty miracles as in our humanity under the power, the control of the Holy Spirit, that you can be just like Jesus in this way. Sadly, these churches have tried to raise the dead like Jesus, and they haven't been able to do that. And many of their miracles end up being hoaxes, or it never ends up taking place. And you see, if this is truly the case, that Jesus Christ gave up his divinity and was fully man here on this earth and no longer God, it would mean that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins was him just simply dying as a good man and not as God, nullifying, diluting his sufficient sacrifice, the once and for all God dying in our place for our sins, nullifying the forgiveness of sins that we can have. This is a flagrant abuse of Scripture. It is a false gospel. And yet this church, this movement, is producing many followers. They, they produce a lot of music and they export it to, and, and, and churches are singing that. And, and a lot of times their music and that is used to lure people into their church, into this kind of teaching. And again, 
Paul, the apostle, in 1 Timothy 4, 16, he says we are to watch our life and our doctrine closely. We're not to slip. We're not to deter from the truth of God's word. We're to persist in doing this. He goes on to say, the apostle Paul, he says, for by doing so, you will save yourself and your hearers. He's telling Timothy, you gotta, you gotta watch your life. You gotta watch how you're living. You gotta watch your doctrine. You gotta stick to the word, Timothy. And he says that to us as well. How important it is that we be people of the word. Those could be some of the Bride, bridesmaids that weren't ready, that weren't there, that didn't have the oil. But there's another sobering aspect to this parable that I believe we need to consider. And perhaps this one may even strike a little closer to home. You see, the wise bridesmaids, they had the oil. The foolish bridesmaids, they didn't have oil. They didn't have any oil at all. They all looked the same. They dressed the same. They had the lamps, but they didn't have the oil. There's no oil in the flask. They had no oil with them. You couldn't tell the difference by simply looking at them, but there was no oil. Now, the oil throughout Scripture is oftentimes a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it can represent true salvation, saving faith, the imputed righteousness it, it, it can represent joyful obedience and a genuine holiness granted by faith in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. All of this comes to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the work that he does in us. It's about being transformed and, being tra- and, and in the process of trans- being transformed on an ongoing basis from the inside out. And Paul, again, he warns of this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He says that it is possible to have a form of godliness and no power. In other words, a form of godliness, have religion, have activity, have busyness, have all the right words to say, but no oil, no oil in the flask. It's possible to be committed socially to Christ, intellectually, religiously, to be born and brought up in the church, live in the church all your life, serve faithfully for decades, go to Bible college, study, teach, disciple others, but it's possible to do all of this and have no oil, to have no light, to have no life, to have no love, no inner affections for Christ, for his bride. It's all on the outside. It's all the exterior. The resident holiness of God isn't there from within. The transforming character and the fruit of the Spirit, it isn't there. It's what James chapter 2 describes a dead faith. And Jesus, he warned of this over and over. It's like, Melvin, why do you have, like, just t- tell us nice things. Tell us happy things. This will lead to happiness if we have the oil of, of, of our salvation. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And Jesus warned over and over in his teaching. And, and some of those references are there. I encourage you to write them down, oftentimes in parables. He talked about the wheat and the tares, the seeds and the soils. And how important, how vital it is that, that we be examining, that we be examining and looking at our lives. There are those who look and sound and act like the real deal. Even having nice feelings towards Christ, but can be unredeemed, unprepared, self-deceived, and thinking all is well. And if Christ was to return this afternoon, before the Super Bowl, where they were to meet him in death today, they would be left out. How we must remember, 
folks, that the king is coming. The marriage supper of the lamb will happen. We must be ready. We must be prepared. But notice something else as well in this passage that we see here. That, that in, in verse 8, we see that the five foolish asked the five wise for some oil. They said, can we have some of your oil? And they said, no, I'm sorry, we won't have enough. And, and this isn't teaching selfishness or hoarding or anything like that. When they say, no, you can't have my oil. This is talking about the impossibility of borrowing someone else's faith. You can't borrow the faith of your parents. You can't borrow the faith of your spouse. You can't get in on their shirt tails or the heritage that you have. You can't get it from someone else. It's only imputed to us through Jesus Christ. Everyone must have their own salvation story. And this also shows the danger of leaving things until later. Again, the foolish bridesmaids. Oh, we'll get some oil later. Yes, we know we should be getting some oil, but you know what? It's not a big deal. We'll just be able to get some and maybe we'll just borrow some. It's not a big deal. We don't need to be prepared. And maybe today you're kind of like that. You're kind of thinking, you know what? I'm not going to get that serious about God, about pursuing Jesus at all yet. I'm going to wait until I'm older. I've got some wild oats to sow. I've kind of, you know, I want to have some fun. I'll get serious later. Or I'm too busy in my career, in my job, in my school, or with kids, or in making money and pursuing fun, pursuing my agenda, my plans. I don't have time for these things. I don't have time for the Word of God. You don't even know where your Bible is because you just haven't had time. And when you do, you kind of look at it on your phone and that doesn't even happen too much. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time to meet with others for prayer. I don't have time to meet with others for study or, or anything like that. And there's a great danger thinking, well, it's going to get slower. Things are going to change. I'll get committed. I'll, help, uh, I'll, I'll do this later on. But there's a great danger of leaving things to the end. And these five foolish bridesmaids experience the result of that. And because of the bridegroom, when he came, when Jesus came, and when or when he will come, just as the bridegroom, he will come unannounced. And in that day, in that moment, it will be too late. And in that moment that we die and take our last breath here on earth, or Christ shall return, we will be more alive in those moments than we've ever been here on this earth. Our senses will be fully functioning. We will be instantly aware of our unpreparedness and the shock of all shocks for some. Of spending eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Or within minutes, within seconds of understanding the glory upon glory that will be experienced for all eternity as a child of God as a prepared bridesmaid. And the third observation we see here, we are to be watching and waiting for Christ's return. Look at what it says in verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now this watching doesn't mean just, you know, mouth open, looking up at the sky, and then going back home, and nope, didn't come today. Mark another day off in the calendar that he didn't come. This watching isn't talking about this. This is about the urgency, the alertness, the prayer we talked about last week. And that urgency starts with our own lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, by examining ourselves to see that we are in the faith, testing ourselves in this. This is about being spiritually awake, alert to Jesus, 
alert and awake to the word of God, to the Holy Spirit convicting and, and, and doing that work in us and us desiring to pursue him. We are to use all the means that God has given us to, to grow in him, to love him and to trust him, to make that a priority in our lives. Not thinking that the things of this world, we've made it such a priority for so long. We've lost our way so easily. And we need to be filled with the oil of faith and joy and hope and preparedness. We must understand that our lamps are empty completely without Christ. Without surrendering our lives to Christ, your lamp is empty. And on that day, you won't be invited to the marriage supper. Oh, we can polish the outside of the lamp. We can have it all looking good. We can place it in the right spot. But if we don't have the oil, we don't have anything. And folks, loved ones, let's test our hearts by this great parable. I wonder today, are you ready to meet Jesus? If he was to return today or if you were to, to pass from this earth this day or this week, are you sure that you are his? Have your sins been forgiven? Is Jesus Christ your Savior? Is he, have you trusted him for your righteousness, for your sanctification? Does your heart long to see him? Jesus is worthy of your whole heart. He is worthy of your sacrifice. He is worthy of your dedication. Does he have yours? Does he have your heart? He came to, to live the life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to face. And he rose in victory, conquering sin and death. And so when we yield to him, our body, our soul, our spirit, our time, our property, our thoughts, our plans, our dreams, our hopes, and it says, Jesus, I'm yours. It's all yours. I'm yours, Jesus. Save me. When we keep nothing back from him, he keeps nothing back from us. He gave it all. He gave himself fully, completely. And when we give ourselves to him fully and completely, we experience his life. We, we receive the oil of, of, of the Holy Spirit, his presence in us. What love this is. What transformation. Do you know him today? Are you prepared? I encourage you just even now to bow your heads. Bow your heads is wherever you are and just thinking and um, just preparing here for spending some time with, in communion with the Lord. You know, over the years, I've performed many wedding ceremonies. And something would be terribly, terribly wrong when I would meet with a bride, and this has never happened, but it would be terribly wrong if I met with a bride and a groom and the bride was totally indifferent. In fact, she was bored. She was distracted. She was uninterested as her wedding day approaches. Let's say there's something wrong with that heart. And in the same way, I believe that Jesus is saying to us here today that something is wrong in the heart of a professing Christian who has no excitement, little or no interest about the coming of Jesus, no or little interest in spending time with him in prayer and getting to know him. God, I pray that even now that we would take time to examine our hearts, to call out to you as our Lord and our Savior if we never have, surrendering our entire lives
to you and asking you to fill us, to save us, to redeem, to empower us and to transform us, that we would receive the oil of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, I pray that people would not leave the couch, they would not leave where they're at today until they do that business with you. To examine their lives, their heart before you, to get alone, to call others to pray with them. Whatever it might be, God, would we respond to you today? You are a saving God. You are a loving God. And Jesus, I pray that even as we worship and as we sing these songs with these words have great meaning, would you be our glory and our prize? May we adore you. Would we behold you this week? Would we anticipate your return with excitement? And God, I pray that we would desire to be that bride purifying and beautifying ourselves for that great day when we see you face to face. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.